When the WHO issued its first emergency use validation for the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine in late 2020, many around the globe were filled with hope, and rightly so. We all thought that the pandemic would be over soon, and we would all return to normal life in no time. The WHO in its official press release announcing the validation emphasized the need for priority populations everywhere to have access to the vaccines. But one year on from that validation and press release, it is safe to say that the world did not listen. While some populations of people, mainly in high-income countries, are scheduling appointments to receive booster shots, others in countries like those in Africa are struggling to receive even their first dose of the vaccine. As of January 2022, only about 13% of the African continent has received at least one dose of the vaccine, while the number stands at 74% in the US and Canada alone. We have only about a, oh, slightly over 100 million people fully vaccinated on a continent of 1.3 billion people. That is about 7.5% uh, of the population. And then just 5.1% if we go to Sub-Saharan Africa, compared to Northern Africa, which has vaccinated 19.6% of their population. So, and for of all the vaccine doses that have been administered globally, Africa represents just 3% of the doses. We're kicking off the season of Where the Health Are We? by trying to understand what goes into vaccinating people at such a large scale and what makes the COVID-19 vaccination drive different from that of other vaccines that have been administered in Africa. To find out more, I sat down with Dr. Fiona Atebwe, the WHO Vaccine Introduction Officer for Africa in December 2021. We discussed COVID-19 vaccines on the continent, the nature of their rollouts, and the challenges African countries are facing as the quest to get people vaccinated continues. Welcome to Where the Health Are We, the podcast about Africa, healthcare, and everything in between. I'm your host, Chinamaram Ihejirika, and in this episode, we'll be exploring the state of the COVID-19 vaccinations in Africa. So I'm called Dr. Fiona Athewe. I'm a medical doctor by profession and a public health specialist. And I am also a vaccinologist. So with WHO, I have a long standing experience in vaccines, especially in the area of new vaccine introductions. So currently with WHO, I'm leading the work in the African region on new vaccine introductions. And of course that by default puts a COVID-19 vaccine on my plate and I'm leading the, the vaccine pillar in the COVID-19 response for Africa. So heading the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine work on behalf of WHO in the African region. The rollout of the COVID-19 vaccines is quite different from the rollout of other vaccines administered in Africa. For one thing, 
there is an unprecedented urgency to the rollouts. And this is due mostly to the need to curb the spread of the virus and prevent the emergence of new potentially deadlier variants. Another thing is that this is one of those rare occasions when adults are the ones being vaccinated at such a large scale. African countries have been forced to pull resources together rapidly to fund the acquisition of vaccines and set up structures for their delivery. And they've had to do all these things while contending with the effects of underfunded health systems and inadequate infrastructure. Um, so what are the logistical considerations for the COVID-19 vaccine rollouts in particular? So what happens behind the scenes? There is a lot, a lot that people don't know that goes on behind the scenes, getting the vaccine from the manufacturer to the arm of the recipient. So let's start from uh, approvals. The vaccine is out of the lab, is out of the clinical trials, and now needs uh, has the, the manufacturer has provided all the the paperwork, and then WHO needs to approve the vaccine. Like we know for the COVID vaccine, different types of vaccines have received their approval for for emergency use listing. So where whereas other vaccines will receive a pre qualification. This has received approval for emergency use listing. And emergency use listing does not mean emergency use. It means they have been added on a list of, uh, of, of the products that can be used uh, during emergencies. Emergency use listing is the WHO's way of making medical products readily available to people during public health emergencies. The WHO assists member states and procurement agencies in evaluating quality, safety, and efficacy data to determine the acceptability of these listed medical products. From there, the vaccines then need to be approved for use in countries by the appropriate regulatory bodies. Then now we have regulatory platforms that need to approve the use of these vaccines. Now, this regular Africa, for example, has the Africa Vaccine Regulatory Forum, which is made up of the national regulatory authorities of all uh, the African countries, which come together to form the African Vaccine Regulatory Forum. So they have now to give approval for these vaccines before we use them on the continent. Then the countries themselves have now to finally do the licensing and approval of use of the, of the vaccine in their territories. So before we even move the vaccine, the countries must do that approval. And in this particular case, we had to do emergency approvals with waivers because it normally takes a long period of time. But the countries, because they all sit under this umbrella of the African Vaccine Regulatory Forum, know how to expedite uh, these processes. Once all the regulatory and licensing requirements have been fulfilled, the vaccine doses can then be acquired. A large portion of the vaccines used in Africa today has been obtained through COVAX, COVID-19 Vaccines Global Access Facility. COVAX was created to foster equitable access to the COVID-19 vaccines and help low- and middle-income countries obtain these vaccines at little to no cost. So once African countries succeed in obtaining the vaccines, 
and the vaccines arrive within their borders, that's when the real work starts. Different vaccines have to be stored at varying temperatures. Some vaccines can be stored as high as plus 8 degrees Celsius and some other vaccines need to be stored at temperatures as low as minus 70 degrees Celsius before and during distribution. This variability in storage temperatures adds an extra layer of complexity to the already complex vaccination process. We go for the supply chain and logistics. We have the cold chain that is required. We know now that for the COVID-19, we are having challenges because of the different requirements. Normally, most vaccines will require that two to eight degrees, plus two to plus eight for, for storage. But now we have vaccines that require Pfizer that requires minus 70. We have the Moderna at minus 20. We have the J&J at minus 20. When shipped from Europe, it will come at minus 20. When shipped from the US, it will come at 2 to 8. When it comes at minus 20, it can stay for two years. But the moment you remove it out of minus 20, you're counting down from six months or four months. So it's really complex. Then you have the rest of the vaccines at 2 to 8. So it's quite... Uh, something organizing that cold chain especially the ultra cold chain uh, in the country to be able to store these different types of vaccines if it was one big type of vaccine for example if we say it is the polio vaccine then we know that yes we are bringing all the vaccine and putting it here but you have j and j you have sinopharm you have astrazeneca you have to store them in such a way that they don't mix because they are used differently then from there, we have, of course, when it comes to cold chain and logistics, to plan for the distribution from the national level, because they land at the international airport, normally in the cities. Then the distribution from the national vaccine stores to the lower levels. Because this is a cold chain, uses cold trucks. But normally we use cold trucks with the normal, usual vaccines, two to eight. So now if we are talking of ultra cold chain, we also have to put in place mechanisms of moving these from the national level to sub-national level, forget even from the sub-national level to the health facility or even to the mobile place that's vaccinating in a market or a church or a mosque. To that level, that distribution needs to be planned well before the vaccines arrive in country. To meet the cold chain and logistical needs of the rollouts, special funds need to be allocated. These funds ideally should cover things like infrastructural improvements, transport costs, healthcare personnel training, and vaccination incentives. Some of these funds have been provided by Gavi, one of the co-leaders of the COVAX initiative. With the funds available, significant work can then go into what public health experts call Microplanning. Microplanning is well, we've decided now we are going to vaccinate adults for the first time. In most African countries, we don't vaccinate adults. So these adults, let's say we said we are starting with priority groups, healthcare workers. Maybe those are easier to find because we know where to find them. But we are talking of people with comorbidities. We don't even know them in Africa. It's only those who happen to fall really sick, go to facility, and are found to be have diabetes or hypertension? Or how shall we find the people with comorbidities? Who do we work with to find people with comorbidities? Then we are talking of people, the elderly. We don't have 
interventions for the elderly in Africa. So this is the first time that when we do what we call the micro planning is we have to first of all know the number of the elderly we are talking about in this village. And if we know the number, where are they? Okay, they are in their homes because they are not working, they are not in, on the streets, they are in, most likely in their homes and maybe sick because of old age. And then how do we get the vaccine to them? So that is the micro planning level. So those are the elderly. So to that level, of, so now we know these are in such a place, had reached earlier in an island, how shall we get to them with the vaccine? That must all be planned before the vaccine comes. Otherwise, with these short shelf life vaccines, your vaccine will come and will expire as you try to figure out how to get it out. While the supply side of the vaccine rollout equation is crucial, the creation of demand cannot be neglected. The doubts and the skepticisms of the people must be addressed to ensure high levels of compliance. Then on top of that, we have to consider the communication. You could have the vaccines like we have the vaccines now, but people are not coming for them. So you have to plan for communication and community engagement. If communities don't understand why you are giving them this vaccine, you will die with your vaccines. So that community engagement. But another very critical part is risk communication and planning for risk communication. If we get a severe adverse event following immunization, what will happen? Who is going to communicate? Who do people trust? Or who is well empowered and has this authority to communicate the right uh, information? To, to lead the A team must be in place to lead the investigation. The protocol must be in place. If somebody collapses at the health facility after vaccination, what will happen? The forms to fill must be in place. All that must be prepared before the vaccines arrive in the country. Even after all these crucial things have been put in place, the work isn't done yet. Once vaccinations have successfully commenced, there must be mechanisms in place to measure progress and optimize the overall process. Then finally, we have the monitoring and evaluation. All this is planned before vaccination. The data tools must be in place. How shall we know? How shall we measure our progress? If we are targeting 50% of the country, how shall we know we are reaching 25%? So we have to put systems in place. Is it an online system? Shall we use a paper-based system? And if it's paper-based, how shall we ensure that we collect all the data and enter it into an online system where all the data from all parts of the country is pulled together to be able to, to see which part of the country is doing badly, which part of the country needs more help and things like that. So there's all this needs to be in place before the vaccines arrive in the country. As you can tell, the vaccination drive is a pretty complex and intricate process. And I think this begs the question, how exactly is Africa faring with the rollouts? What specific issues are we experiencing? And how are countries doing given their unique geopolitical and social cultural context? Well, that and more coming up after the break.
With great complexity comes great challenges, and the COVID-19 vaccine rollout is no exception. When these challenges reach insurmountable levels, vaccines are wasted, and this is something we cannot afford on the continent. The challenges being encountered across the continent span both the supply and demand sides of the rollouts. One of the biggest issues is, uh, is funding. This is very expensive. Africa is used to, to vaccination. Africa is used to campaigns, polio, measles, yellow fever, meningitis, typhoid, cholera, all these outbreaks, Ebola, all happen in Africa. But in this particular case, and, and but they happen in pockets of places, so you're concentrating on particular places. But for example, a health system, we are used for the usual vaccination every quarter vaccines leave the central level and get to the sub-national level that means you're fueling the cold trucks every quarter managing this cold ice and everything every quarter but now some vaccine doses will come today some will come two weeks later so the ones that will come a month later have a shorter shelf life than the ones that came two weeks ago meaning if you've already distributed the ones that came two weeks ago, now you get a shorter shelf life, you also have to go back and distribute. That's very expensive. Healthcare workers have to be trained and retrained. At first we got AstraZeneca. Fine. It was as good as the normal vaccines we have, the polios, the BCG, the, you know, the meningitis, two to eight degrees. Now you bring in Pfizer, you have to come back and retrain these health workers. So that multiple those multiple trainings and reorientations have a lot of impact financially. Then one of the other major issues is short shelf life. We've been getting vaccines that have one, two months expiry. Millions of doses come to a country expiring in six weeks. These fine doses that were already in the country and being used. So you have to, you know, interpose these ones on top of the other ones, ensure they are distributed and health workers use these ones first before those that they received before. So it becomes quite difficult. Sometimes a different vaccine type, the other people waiting for their second dose. People have been, for example, receiving Moderna or Pfizer for a first dose. Then now you introduce AstraZeneca as a first dose, yet the whole village knows that here they've been receiving Pfizer. So the short shelf life is impacting because we are in a crisis mode at any one time. Every time short shelf life vaccines come in, you have to rush and ensure you use those vaccines before expiring. The other issue is the ultra cold chain. It's only in major cities and not in even all major cities. So that means for a vaccine like Pfizer, to be sure that you'll use it when you get it out of the ultra cold chain, we try to keep it close to the metropolitan areas. So not everyone can access Pfizer, for example. But uh, all this, all this planning has to be in place. So if countries have not planned very well for this and done simulation exercises to see, okay, if we get Pfizer, if we get more of J&J, if we run out of doses, what shall we do? So all that planning, if not well done, and actually most many countries have not done it because we are learning on the job. Some countries have nine products in the country, different characteristics. So managing all that becomes really difficult. Despite the difficulties many African countries are facing, there are countries that are making the most of the vaccines at their disposal. One contributing factor 
to their success has been extensive planning and preparation prior to the arrival of vaccines, made possible by strong political commitments. Their success can serve as lessons for countries that are having a harder time getting the vaccines out. The small island countries have done an excellent job because of their populations. It's easier to manage smaller populations. The communication is easy to be done. The movements are easy. So countries like Seychelles, Mauritius, Cabo Verde, uh, those smaller countries have done an excellent job. Comoros, uh, those are all islands, either in the Atlantic or Indian Ocean. Then we have Northern Africa, like I mentioned, Morocco, Tunisia, have done an excellent job. Then we have the Southern African countries, Botswana, South Africa, Lesotho. We know that South Africa is really the place that has driven the COVID pandemic in Africa. The numbers were really, really, really high in South Africa. So, so the people really came out for the vaccination. Rwanda, uh, countries like Rwanda, Eswatini, the smaller countries, but also we have countries like Zimbabwe, Sawotome and Principe, who have done an excellent job in getting these vaccines out. So most of these countries have one thing in common, very high political commitment. The presidents are out there, the, 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 the political leaders, the religious leaders, everybody's out there trying to get everyone vaccinated. Then funding. These countries have put in domestic finances and also done resource mobilization to get more financing for, for to roll out these vaccines while other countries are relying on uh, on external funding the funding the political will and then of course the social mobilization the the population getting the population to be confident in the vaccine we saw most of these countries have their political the president get vaccinated publicly the ministers, the religious leaders, the cultural leaders get vaccinated. So the community engagement has also been really, really high in these countries. There are a few things we should take away from this episode. One, carrying out vaccination campaigns is difficult and more so now because more people are being vaccinated. Two, even though the supply of vaccines has increased, it's still an issue, and the only way it gets better is if there's a stronger multilateral push for African countries to receive vaccines that aren't close to expiration. And lastly, planning is king when it comes to the last mile delivery of vaccines. The infrastructure has to be in place, and there has to be a two-way dialogue between those giving the vaccines and those receiving it. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us on the first episode of Where the Health Are We? If you liked this episode, there's a few ways you can help us out. You can rate the podcast or you can send it to your friends and family. And if you do not like the podcast, you can send it to your enemy or somebody you don't like. To keep up with the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram. And the link to that is in the show notes. This episode was co-produced by me, Chinamaram Ihejirika and Brian Fletcher. 
it was mixed and engineered by Papa Udeme. The theme sound you hear in this episode was produced by Muti Ogunchina, and the artwork for the episode was created by Onil Efedua. Thank you again for listening. I'm your host, Chinamarami Hijirika. See you next week. Bye-bye.